Welcome to episode 96 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a podcast made up of opinions by four allegedly somewhat intelligent-ish maybe guys discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Michael, and with me today are my friends Ryan. How are you doing this week? I'm doing awesome. Nice. Uh, Zeb, how are you? Uh, not too good. I've got a bit of a cold, but we'll, we'll soldier through. All right. I, I appreciate that. Thank you for, thank you for uh, powering through. And also, welcome to our newest permanent host, Noah. Hello, good to be back. Nice. And, it is uh, cold here. It's four <laughs> degrees is the low today. I'm not kidding. It's the, the lowest four degrees tonight. I do not envy wow. that whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. No. But I appreciate you, you powering through that as well. <laughs> so, Ryan, what have you been up to this week? So, I've been having some fun. Actually, this is because of you, Noah. Um, I was on your Mumble server for the Ask Noah show this week. I was kind of hanging out there. And I decided to become a part of the community instead of just a lurker. And I thought, you know, I haven't spun up a Mumble server in a long time. So I have a server on DigitalOcean that was TTRSS feed for getting all the news and stuff that we cover on Destination Linux and decided, let me try to go ahead and throw Mumble on there as well. It's amazing how powerful and diverse these little droplets are because it ran perfectly. It was able to set it up. It took less than five minutes to get the whole thing yeah. done. Like it's so it's also a testament to how well the Mumble server is written too, right? Oh, absolutely. The Mumble server, DigitalOcean, the the whole the whole gamut. So it, you know, I spun that up, set it up, got in there. Of course, uh, I don't know if I'm gonna make it public or not, but it was just fun. I like going through these things and saying, hey, this person has this. Let me go see if I can go do it and see how long it takes and all the effort and stuff. And I love seeing things that are that simple because to me that drives more people to be experimental and try things without having, you know, a thousand terminal commands and going into config files and having to change them and all that. None of that happens with a mumble server. It's, it's literally five, 10 minute process. You can have one set up. And it's just very little powerful tool, too, with the administrative rights, the groups you can create, the texting, the voice chat, all of that stuff. So that's what I was up to. I think it was a lot of fun, something to, something to do. Plus moving, as you can tell, because everything is getting empty, saying goodbye to this house. He's selling stuff so he can get his AMD Threadripper. That's right. <laughs> that's what I should be doing. Nice. So, Zeb, uh, have, what have you been up to this week? Um, well, I've been having fun in games with uh, Fedora. Um, I tried the KDE version first, but was having a few problems with NVENC, and I didn't know whether that was my fault because I did things in the wrong order. So I hosed that and then put XFCE, XFCE on, um, and bingo, that worked first time. So um, I then did something really stupid that I'd done to Peppermint before, but I wondered if it would work with Fedora. And I just threw Cinnamon Desktop on top, um, and surprisingly enough, it's working really stable, um, <laughs> and everything that I need is working. So, yeah, it's a, it's a nice distribution. Nice. So, uh, Noah, what's, what's been happening in your neck of the woods? Like I said, it's been really cold. The low tonight is four. So uh, I've been trying to stay indoors as much as humanly possible. I worked at uh, 1450 AM out of St. Cloud this morning. And uh, now I've got the afternoon to spend talking Linux with you guys. And then, obviously, uh, not that it's directly related, related to this show, but uh, Ask Noah is now an independent uh, program. And so excited to see what levels we can take that to next week. And thanks a lot. If you guys don't know, if you haven't heard or, or listened to it, make sure to check out um, the four of us did an episode of Ask Noah. We, we called yeah. it the, the Linux Brain Trust. Or no, we called it Stump the Chumps. But we're going to go with Linux. 
we're going to go with Linux Brain Trust. And uh, you can check that out. We took questions and answered them. And uh, I thought we had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. very, it was a great time. It was very, very good, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next section, which is the emails. So uh, Noah, could you read that for us? Hey, Destination Linux crew. First, let me start out by telling you how giddy I get every time I see you release the new podcast, especially the ones where Michael isn't involved. I almost exclusively listen to you on my way home as it brightens up my day every time. Your chemistry is amazing, and you offer a fantastic combination of information and entertainment. I'll accept that Michael guy. (laughs) At the ripe age of 31, I started my apprenticeship in system administrations. It's never too late, and my job got me into Linux. I've always been pretty tech savvy, and I've tried to... I've tried Linux very early on with some early version of Ubuntu. I'm now part of a three-man team, and I manage about 200 servers and an abundance of VMs exclusively that are running on Ubuntu. Nice. I have a completely, I have a completely abandoned Windows from all of my private PCs as well. My question yeah. to you is, how do you alleviate the fear of the command line in your everyday computer user? Thank you so much for everything you do, and please keep up the work. Once I can afford to support you financially, I will not hesitate for a second to support each and every one of you except for Michael. Greetings from Germany. Martin. <laughs> That's the greatest email ever. It was red. It's good. By the way, yeah. I mean, just I felt for... like there was some extra pieces put in there that no, were not necessary. There was yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I think uh, the greetings from Germany. I think. Oh no, no, that in there. Yeah, red. <laughs> I think he only has 190 servers, not 200. So you might have, um, yeah, you might have overdone it a bit there. Yeah, he did say so about 200. This is an so. awesome email, um, and one of the reasons why I just absolutely loved it was the fact of managing 200 servers here. Now I have like I don't know four little virtual servers that I spin up for my own, you know, pleasure of playing with different things. Noah, I'm sure you have quite a few and stuff but 200 that's a whole business that's a lot of servers there to manage that he's able to do here successfully with linux without any issues i think that's pretty awesome yeah that's 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 really really cool i I think that the question is really interesting though is like how do how do we alleviate the fear of the command line from the everyday computer user that i guess that we experience and uh that's a interesting question that I don't really think there is an answer because at the moment there's still sometimes. Oh, I, I mean, you have like the GNOME software stuff like that in Ubuntu, but like, okay, Noah, what, what would you, what were you saying? What would you say? I I would say that the one of the greatest things about the Linux command line, what what is scary to people about the Linux command line, is not understanding specifically what you're doing. A lot of times it's monkey see, monkey do, and so we just blindly copy and paste these commands into the command line, mm-hmm. and I think that leads to a lot of anxiety and fear because you're not really sure what's going to happen, and if everything goes the way you expect it to, then you wind up with a product and you really don't know. That's best case scenario. You don't really know how you got there. And worst case scenario, something bad happens to your system and you don't know how to undo it because you didn't understand what screwed it up in the first place. So I, I would say the, the way to alleviate fear of the command line is to dig through every single command that you're going to run and understand what those commands do and what the ramifications are of each one of those commands. And in doing that, I think what you'll find is you'll begin to embrace the command line and start to say, hey, you know what? I understand. I you start because I I know Michael. You kind of think this way, and I do as well. Is when I go to do something in the graphical environment, I click on install. In my mind, I know that underneath that pretty little green button is sudo apt-get install. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's what I would say is understand what each one of those commands do in their entirety, and I think that will eliminate the fear. Yeah, I was going to add to this that. So there was a period of time when I was running a shop with my dad down uh, in Florida 
we had a small computer shop. And one of the things that I spun off as a teenager was a, my own business training people how to use computers back then. And it, you know, the command line fear, even the fear of computers back then, because a lot of that generation didn't grow up with computers in their homes, was they were afraid they were going to break something, right? There was this constant fear that, oh my God, if I go in here and play, I'm going to break something. One of the ways that I, I was lucky in that when I was growing up in computers, you know, I had DOS around and I was messing around with DOS and those types of things. So by the time I got in Linux all these years later, the terminal wasn't as scary to me because I was used to the DOS thing. But one of the ways, one of the things that was scary, like you said, Noah, was going and typing in these commands and feeling like, oh, I'm going to break my machine. I'm not going to get anything to work. This is where a $5 spin up of that you could have for students and people to get to alleviate their fears really comes in handy either through a virtual machine for free or a $5 digital ocean server or something like that, or Linode or whoever you want to use, because then you can send somebody in there and say, go to town, go launch this server, go make it. And if you break it, you can literally right click in the website GUI and restart the server from scratch and start over again. So that way you don't have that fear of breaking things and you can start learning these commands, like Noah said, of going through and researching them as you're going through them. Maybe, you know, give them a project, something simple and small. Maybe it's a mumble server, something easy to do that you just start getting to learn some of these commands and how things interact. And I think that helps get over the fear. It certainly helped me more than I realized it would just being able to play in these little servers that if they break, you can just refresh them. I mean, I agree. But what do you think about the idea of some people just don't want to even use this, the command line at all? Like, cause we're, I think we're you're using the power of Linux at that point. Like to this point, you can go through Linux and not utilize the GUI. You're just going to be slower than everybody else. Yeah, like I it's mean, gotten to the point where the GUI pretty much does everything. It's very rare you have to, but I think you lose a lot of the power of Linux by being afraid of it. I mean, I agree, but I, I and I think the, the the command line is one of the most useful tools of Linux because you have the like the speed of what it can do and the flexibility of what it can do. And I agree with that, but I also think that the majority of users aren't like kind of focused on learning how the system works. They just want to use it as a tool. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like a utility approach. And I think that the only way to alleviate that fear is to not have it there, like not even be like not rely on it. Because I think that one of the things that hurts the adoption is that we have a lot of people who promote the, like trying to learn the infrastructure of the system to alleviate, to basically make it easier to use. But I think that that in, in itself is a kind of a barrier for some people who just don't even want to do that. And, and you can also take baby steps. I mean, there's, there's loads of um, internet sites out there that will give you the 10 most commonly used commands. So like Noah was saying, look up those commands, find out what they do, work out mm-hmm. what the difference between LS and LS space minus AL is, um, and then then you'll find out that unless you are really really stupid and just blanketly copy everything that anybody tells you, um, you you can't necessarily do a lot of damage to your system. Um, the worst thing you're going to do is is RM the wrong command. But then if you don't know to put sudo in front of it, then all you're going to be able to RM is something in your home directory. So sometimes sure. just baby steps and teach yourself some simple little commands first, and then you'll get then hopefully you'll get more used to it. Okay, that's fair. Um, so uh, how can people get in touch with us, Seb? 
Well, as you can see from this little section here, even one simple question in your emails enables us to um, have, a, have a good discussion about various items. So send your emails on how you use Linux and applications that you found um, to comments at destinationlinux.org. So on to some distro news, I guess. Uh, if, you, if you insist. <laughs> No, we've stopped doing that now. I'm, doing, I'm going to be the nice cuddly Zed from now on. <laughs> so Ubuntu 19.04 has been released. So the, the feature list that they're hoping to build into it um, has been released. And I think there's going to be another little um, sing song about what they've called it because it's going to be known as Disco Dingo. That is the great. I That's love awesome. Disco Dingo. Like in my head, I can see it. A discoing dingo. I would I like, like to point out, I, I called it. Cosmic Cuttlefish was the last one, that wasn't it, that people didn't like? Was it Cosmic, Cosmic Cuttlefish? Cuttlefish? They said it was weird because yeah. of the cuttlefish usage or whatever, but like, uh, it's, it's becoming... I it was cute. I, I, I'm okay with it. I don't care about this that much. Like, but any, anything has got to be better than if that. They, if they called it Michael's haircut, who would care? I mean, I <laughs> would enjoy that. That would be great. Yeah, I know, but yeah. I mean, but I think Disco Dingo leaves us a lot of room for awesome wallpapers out there. That's yeah. all I'm saying. I think the, I think the Disco Dingo is a to, it's, it's a fun name. I mean, I, I'm glad yeah. that they're they're try, not doing like the trying to be all ridiculous or just trying to they're enjoy they're embracing the absurdity that they could be using. So as a joke. <laughs> I I called both Disco and Dingo separately, and, and like you know, some people will just say. Somebody when go talking, through the archives and see if he's lying. No, I, I actually have it. a tweet where it shows in May that I called it as as, as Dingo. I don't. I could I, the Disco thing I did it on a podcast, and I don't remember which podcast it was because I'm. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so. He, he forgets there. Yeah, there's that. So, sure. so but the, the Dingo thing I have evidence for. Michael so. the Goldfish. That's what we're <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> Goldfish Michael. So, so moving on from Michael's uh, brain prowess, um, <laughs> this, this will not be um, an LTS release. For those of you who are not aware, it's only the even numbers uh, when they get to 04 that become a long-term support. Actually, so be- that's the misconception. That's the misconception there is that a lot of people believe that only the .04 numbers are the LTS release. No, the e- even numbers. The even number yeah. years is what I, the way I just, just subscribe. Yeah, so 2004 yeah. is an LTS. 2010 won't be an LTS. So are you saying there has been a 10 LTS? No, he's saying that, he's saying that people think that sometimes like 1904 or 1704 oh, yes. would be an LTS. Yeah. Where they right. think that the 04 that is always an LTS. Quite a bit. Yeah. Gotcha. Because yeah. there, there are a lot of people um, who are confused. They think that the O4 is always an LTS, but it's it's only every two years. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this is scheduled for delivery on April the 18th of 2019. Um, and they're hoping to bring out uh, a number of items here. You'll have to forgive me because my voice is going. So if someone could take over uh, reading out what the list of things that we can expect. Well, I know Michael's going to be excited about this. Gnome 3.32. Michael. Yes. <laughs> Finally. Finally, yes. it's out there. Now, did they are they removing features in three dot three two? Probably. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they've announced. What can we expect to be removed in three dot three two? I'm kidding. We love GNOME sometimes. sometimes. Linux kernel five dot <laughs> uh, is going to be in this one. So this is a this is a change in how that they've done the Linux kernel numbering up to this point am i right sort of that they kind of changed it in the three zero the three series where in the that you know how there was like two had like this ridiculously long path 
there was like it was 2.26 or something by the time they got rid of it um but uh, and also that was about 10 years the two series was about 10 years long then they were like they decided to change it and then one day i think it was the four series uh the three series was like an arbitrary choice the fourth series they were like well we're just gonna do it when we feel like it so then the fifth series the the series like 5.0 is basically just they think yeah there's been enough changes let's go ahead and just change it it's like nice. there's no like big milestone that they're going for they're just eventually like it's been enough times enough releases we're just going to go ahead and move it on nice well they also got the android integration that will be in this one which is kind of a javascript implementation of kde connect yeah uh, which i think still is really KDE important yeah uh, to, to make sure all these desktop environments either using kde connect or some variation thereof because I think it's becoming very important to a lot of users to have the integration. Oh, yeah. You get new Ubuntu software store look, new snaps, of course, and there's going to be performance patches in there. Which so, is always awesome. Stuff. Yeah, you definitely want things to run faster. So a quick question about the snaps, guys, because although I'm, I am adopting them more, and yes, they are very useful, um, there's a couple of them that, that never seem to work for me. Now, OBS is one of them. And the reason why I don't use the Snap is because it just doesn't work with NVENC at the moment. Mm. Um, and you have to issue some weird Snap commands to get your webcam working. So I did, I'm pretty sure I've tried, I've tried something to do with Steam. I'm not sure if it has a Snap out there already. But when I used it, it couldn't see my network drive where all of my Steam games were installed. Mm. It just, it wouldn't come out of the Snap to look at, configured network so yeah. i hope they're going to fix that before the, they steam, do. the current steam is more of a test case prototype type thing so like they're doing a steam like a windows version of steam inside of a snap to see if it's possible so they could use mm-hmm. certain games that are not linux based and see if they could do it this was before proton existed i don't know if that changes anything but um i think that what they're trying to do is make sure that steam in the future can be ran as a snap in general so like a that. lot of this probably has to do with how they sandbox these apps initially yes. within the snaps and why you can't access things outside of it. But I don't think you're the first one to run into that issue, Zeb, because I'm quite certain we've seen somebody having that issue with their Steam games in our Telegram group. And gosh, I could have sworn, Zeb, you were the one that helped them fix it and say, get out, get stop using the snap. But in any <laughs> case, it is an issue out there. Um, and then they, we've got the touchscreen enhancements that they're going to be making to the GNOME shell as well. So I don't know. Are, are touchscreen monitors making a comeback? Because they've been around forever, and I'm starting to see a lot of touchscreen integration. Yet Ubuntu and folks are not necessarily focusing their attention on, you know, tablets or phones or anything. So I'm kind of curious why everybody's going back to all this touchscreen stuff. It's kind of becoming I mean, it's cool a thing. It, but, it's, yeah. Laptops have them more often now. And... Uh, there's, there's some people are actually using uh, touchscreens a lot, and there's been a, like some, uh, some issues of people not are being bothered by using Linux because of the touch aspects. Because they, I don't know why would someone want to point touch their screen. Like I don't get it. Like I understand why you're in your hand in your phone, but like straight, reaching out like three feet. Yeah, but, why? No, no, no. But the thing is, there's an awful lot of laptops now that you can just flip 180 degrees and have them resting on your yeah. palm. That's that's part of it, but the, I think the, or the bigger place that I have seen it is in like a public kiosk situations. So a lot of the a lot of the hotels and a lot of the places that so for example we have a water park that we do IT contracting for, and they have a waiver thing, and it's literally yes 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 sign your name and I agree. Now we're using Linux for that. Um, 
and it's just way cleaner to do that with the touchscreen than have a keyboard and mouse. That's true. Nice. It's so hard to get used to this change, you know, the touchscreen stuff, because so many times at work, my greatest pet peeve would be somebody coming up to your screen and touching your monitor to point something out. Yeah. Like it just makes you want to punch them in the face. And now you've got these touchscreen with your laptop. Like, you know, I don't want to punch them, but I, I thought about it. Before. Oh, I want to punch them. Don't like, touch my like monitor. You don't have don't to touch it. Just kind of just monitor. hover a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like I can figure out what you mean. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, next up in the show, uh, Neptune 5.6 was released this week. And this is a Debian-based distribution out of Germany. And this is, uh, if you're not familiar with it, they recently upgraded to Debian 9 Stretch. And what's really cool about this one is that they, they, they have, like, the underlying base of Debian, but they upgrade the kernel and the, the video drivers and things like that. And they also, ha- But they also have, like, a stable uh, implementation of, like, their desktop environment and their other stack. So it's an interesting approach of having, like, most of the time people want to get the... The, the base or the core to not be rolling or to, or to not be rolling and then get the stuff on top rolling. And they're doing kind of like an opposite where they make sure all the, like the core fundamentals are, are up to date as much as possible. And then they have the other stack that's more uh, st- stable LTS type release. So like uh, plasma 5.12 is the the desktop that they are currently using. Is anybody giving this a, ch- a, a look? Um, I haven't, but I do like the fact that although they're Debian-based and everybody thinks Debian-based is going to be older stuff, um, they've taken their time to make available um, one of the latest, the, the, the kernels, the 418 kernels, mm-hmm. um, and as well as providing Mesa 18.1.9. So, yes, you can have that base stability, but it's nice to have all the goodies that go with it. So, yeah, kudos to them. But, I've no, I've not tried this particular distro. I use Arch. But I did spin this up in a virtual machine and check this one out. I was very, very impressed with this whole setup they have here. Um, it, it, first of all, the color schemes, the second you log into it, the desktop layout is absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. and inviting. Um, they have a nice workspace switcher set up there. Very consistent theme throughout the entire thing. Of course, you're on the very stable Uh, Debian distro here, but one of the things that really caught my attention, and you actually got yelled at by me, Michael, in the middle of the week for this, is the Excalibur menu that they utilize for KDE. I didn't know it existed, and I go in there, and I'm looking at their menu, and I'm like, this is the most perfect KDE menu I've seen. Where did they get this? And I'm right-clicking, trying to find the name, and I find it. And I yelled at you, Michael, because you are the KDE expert. You never told me that this exists. Excalibur menu and KDE is brilliant if you've not tried it, at least for me. I love it. So for those who are I also haven't said anything to, uh, there's (laughs) store.kde.org is basically like an open desktop implementation of KDE applications and, and applets and widgets and stuff. And Excalibur menu is in there, as well as about five or six other menus that you could try out if you wanted to, um, including some really interesting things like very simple, but also kind of like dashboardy type um, uh, menus as well. And yeah, I did totally forget that this existed. Um, I don't know why I never bothered to mention it before, but there are a lot of things in that store if you want to check them out. They're really good. So you can even yeah. do the look and feel system is another thing that's in there. And very easy to set up as well. They make it really easy to get those implemented. And so I I absolutely listen. If you're looking for a Debian-based distro, you know, I always throw out the MX out there because MX is one. But if you're looking for something different to try out, Neptune 
really impressed me. It's something I could definitely see myself installing. It's interesting. Uh, one of the patrons mentioned in chat about is Debian slower because we all know that it's kind of, you know, older releases and that type of thing. So let me open that up to you guys because I think that's a big misconception out there that a Debian's older, it's going to be on an older kernel. Therefore, it's going to be slower and not perform as well. The answer is yes, it is slower, but on purpose. Because So there's different sections of Debian. There's actually, a lot of people misunderstand that Debian, and they think all of Debian is like really slow to update. There's actually multiple branches and channels of Debian. Debian stable is the one that most people are associated to as far as the one that's being updated. Um, but there's also Debian testing and Debian unstable, which is also nicknamed SID. And Debian SID is essentially a rolling release version of Debian. And it's, in some cases, it even rolls even faster than um than um, uh, Arch, even and, and not all the time, but there's a lot of cases Whoa. where it will. It will, but fake but, news. But there's a difference between uh, the the Arch rolling is more like more focused on te- on test on usage, where there's a daily Debian unstable is more ref or more of a developer set mm. and things like that. So they are mainly focused on the stable version. That's why when they talk about new releases, they're only referring to the to the stable. Uh, but as mm. far as like the the way that Neptune is doing it, they're basically taking the stable version and then pulling stuff from testing and putting it into the stable. So mm-hmm. like they're having a, a merge of different branches. Similar things are being are done by MX Linux and other things like that. So that yeah. that may, might be one of the things that would uh, explain. So you get that the reason. latest you get the latest video card drivers for AMD in there that they're pulling in. You get the la- mm-hmm. you get a later kernel, obviously four point eighteen point mm-hmm. six in here. You also get some refreshed packages and things that may not be available in codecs and tools installed that they're doing that makes it a little bit different than if you just went and downloaded Debian by itself. Mm-hmm. And just to class- clarify, because I know it's one of our patrons was, was stating it, that when we talk about Debian being slow, we're only talking about the, the release cycle and, and the way that it comes out. The actual core operating system itself, I find, is pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. Very, very quick. So it's not it's not the OS that's slow. It's just their release cycle, and it's nice and stable and steady. Yeah, and the reason why they have a, a release to the, the amount of time they do is because it's more of a uh, a functional st- – uh, st- the stability of it is not necessarily what it is. It's more of a – like what you can expect from the distribution. So if, you, if you're running Debian as an enterprise thing or you're like, you know, you're basing your content on Debian, you want to make sure that, especially enterprises, they don't want to have to like target rolling releases all the time because everything could move so fast that they can't keep up. And with Debian, when they get every three years or so, it makes it easier for a company to base their stuff on top of it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's one of the so reasons no. why Ubuntu has LTSs as well. Yeah. Um, have you tried yes, some sir. Debian stuff over the years? Yeah, I have. Uh, you know, honestly, I have, and I, this might upset some people in the audience, so don't uh, don't be gentle with me, but I have yet to find anything that Debian can do that CentOS doesn't do better. Um, and when I say better, I don't necessarily mean that it's more performance or anything like that. I just mean that with CentOS or Red Hat, rather, um, I can stack and layer support on top of it very, very easily. Pay me 359 bucks, and all of a sudden, I've got a license on top of it. I, I don't know that Debian is really situated to offer that same that same kind of support layering. And mm-hmm. so and, and Debian and CentOS, they really they kind of both appeal to the same uh, audience, right? They both are this rock stable, slow moving, but you can put it for a long, long time and leave it in production. Both of those kind of approach Linux that same way. 
And so I've always found CentOS to be a better choice. But it's really, at the end of the day, it's a personal decision. And if it ends with NUX, it's a, it's a plus in my book. <laughs> so send your emails for all the Debian lovers out there to comments at destinationlinux.com and put Noah in the subject line and you control him and tell him how mad you are about that later. Yeah, go right ahead because I don't get those emails. So. <laughs> I'll just I'll set up a forward. Yeah, yeah, we got forward those. No, that's that's interesting insight. So, talking about perfection, the perfect <laughs> desktop environment, the greatest thing that ever happened to Linux. KDE I plasma. Know it's not KDE. I three window <laughs> we just manager. Got about KDE. Version four point one six was released, <laughs> and right. you guys know that uh, I three is the greatest window manager out there. There are others that try to be I three, but there is only one I three. Of course, that's my opinion. <clears throat> And for all the i3 prodigies out there, we got some new improvements in i3, making it, believe it or not, even more awesome than it was before. Michael, you're using i3 now. Zeb doesn't ever want to try i3. We're well, going to get going there eventually, I think, I hope. Is, is one of the new releases the I, automatic insertion of shift when someone forgets it in the instructions? Shut up, Zeb. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. What do you think, Noah? Are you going to be trying out uh, i3 anytime soon? Absolutely. I've played with i3. Listen, I'm a big fan of tiling window managers. In fact, I've said a couple of times before, I've got a box inside of my shop that the only, its only function in life is for getting like serious work done. And uh, now it's not running i3. Um, it's running awesome. But same concept, right? It is a, it is a, it's a tiling window manager. And I think the first one I used was Xmonad. And I, I always tell people, if you want a distraction-free work environment and you have to work it the most efficient way possible, Tiling Window Manager is the way to go. Now, if you want bells and whistles and you want to play with stuff and you want it to look fancy and you want to impress all your neighbors and you want your wife to be able to use it, probably not i3. But uh, again, ultimate, ultimate, ultimate uh, you know, efficiency. There's nothing to compete the efficiency of a Tiling Window Manager, both in performance and in the productivity of, of work. Yeah. Efficiency. Well, one yeah. of the things I love about i3 is you can get tons of support out there. There's lots of great documentation, but they're doing even more in this release to improve their documentation further. And what that helps you do is be able to understand the config file and be able to make those customizations. They need that. And they, need that. They, they might want to have yeah. like a wallpaper that gives you tips about what you're supposed to do once you have it installed. Like I created up on my GitHub page <laughs> yeah, that maybe. had the wrong command for Zeb. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, if the documentation is correct. All my documentation was correct except for how to exit out of it. I didn't include the shift button in there, so Zeb was stuck in I3 and had no way of escaping. That, that sounds like a, that you orchestrated that just, yeah, I mean, just I, to I make sure have. Zeb could. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, my computer has a reset button. Yeah. Well, you get some IPC enhancements in here. You get support for startup notifications in the I3 config wizard and what they call the nag bar in I3. Uh, new additions to the i3 Sensible Terminal and improved GTK application support. Displaying window decorations correctly, plus a bunch of bug fixes out there. So the happiest thing to me is i3 is continuing on. It's the greatest window manager out there, at least in my opinion. So I'm glad to see any improvements out there being made to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's very cool. Now, before we move on, I'm I'm really pleased that we have Noah as a as a as a guest with as a as a full time presenter with us now because we can actually give him the next subject and know it's not going to take up the next three quarters of an hour. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
You'll see. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and challenge Ryan's previous assertion uh-huh. uh, that uh, that i3 is the best desktop ma- you know desktop environment ever, and I'm sure. going to go ahead and, and agree with Michael that he's right that KDE is. And I've prepared a brief 260 point presentation <laughs> on the KDE Connect 1.0. So we're going to get through this two and a half hours. Uh, presentation as fast as we possibly can. <laughs> KDE Connect has really become a powerful tool for communicating and interacting with your smartphone. And um, for those of you who have not played with it before, it really is a culmination of two open source proje- projects independently, both Android from the Google side and KDE on the desktop side, coming together. And it really shows you uh, what can happen because when Apple wants to do something, for example, they want to integrate these two components together. They have to hire developers to work for Apple and then they both sit in one room and their budget is constrained to however many people they can hire for between both the smartphone interaction and, and the desktop side. We don't have that issue in open source. We have the most passionate, intelligent, um, well-rounded desktop people ever, and they're developing KDE, and then you get these people that are working on Android, and, and they're able to develop some of the stuff that, so that all this stuff can, can tie in together. And uh, so 1.10 is that it comes with the following enhancement, improved support for Android Oreo, uh, better mouse input handling, SMS handling improvements with the, um, and on that note, uh, I actually converted somebody to Linux just because of the ability to handle SMS on yeah. high into their desktop. They nice. thought that was the coolest thing ever. You know, and, and it's becoming less relevant now because obviously a lot of the cell phone carriers are providing that functionality inside of the web browser, yeah. but we've had it for a while. Um, they dropped support for Android 4.0, but you know, how many people are using 15-year-old smartphones? <laughs> and um, <laughs> recently there was a YouTube comment from a viewer that stated that they loved Linux because they couldn't get their phone properly to connect Linux they were leaving. Um, so, yeah, I mean, check out KDE Connect if you've not played for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it it's, it's one of those things that it was one of the first things I ever played with KDE, and uh, now I can't imagine using it. It's one of those features that I couldn't imagine going to another desktop environment and not having it anymore. Well, the, yeah. to be clear, though, it KDE Connect works with any desktop you want to as long as you install the app indicator. So, it, it, Yeah, but it doesn't. I I, tr- I tried using it on. It's not as good as on Plasma. Like on Plasma, yeah, I, it's amazing. On anything else, it's like it's still it good. Is like that why they wrote GS Connect then instead of just using instead of just porting over KDE Connect because it doesn't function no, right? No, because GS Connect actually depends on KDE Connect. I know, but they why would they write a separate app? Why not just use KDE Connect? Is it because the interfaces? Well, it's, doesn't work it's right? because GNOME got rid of app indicator support. <laughs> Uh, oh oh wow oh my god it kind of is it kind of is you can't use an app indicator nobody used it anyway (laughs) nobody wants to know what their applications are doing notifications that's so 2015 right there's no no one cares anymore but uh, so gs connect makes it possible to integrate it into the shale of gnome and it's 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 nice to have that um that uh, another project that is using the the core pieces of KDE Connect and then making it easier for another uh, desktop uh, platform to use it. And I actually, uh, I'm okay with them using it. In, in fact, I suggest other DEs if they wanted to. You should just, you know, do a part, do a, some kind of partnership with KDE Connect and integrate their, uh, their, their Android app because they've done all the work there as well as they've done all the API stuff on the desktop. And it would be very beneficial for every DE to have this because KDE Connect is one of the things that I love Plasma for. And uh, it's just because they own Plasma, it's it's seamless and it's it just works. Every aspect of it works beautifully. But there's also what I found interesting is that in this latest release, they talked about how they have a Windows build now, 
So you can actually use your Android phone on Windows with KD Connect. Filthy dual booters will be happy to know that. <laughs> the barbarians, yeah, I know. But um, but it's, it is, it's interesting that they're doing it because it might be a, another one of those uh, gradual uh, teasing of people, like, you know, trying out something and like then they see that it's, it's a better experience on Linux or something like that. So I think this is pretty cool, even even though I have no intention of ever using that I, part. But I think it's an amazing tool. In fact, I, you know, the YouTube comment you were talking about was on my channel, Noah, and they basically, you know, my channel, a lot of people are new to Linux there because they all follow kind of the 30 days Linux when I switched over to Linux. So but one of the comments, unfortunately, recently was, hey, I couldn't get my phone to work and connect properly in Linux, and I'm going back to Windows. So I was like, did they wait, elaborate wait, wait, on wait, wait. you got to go back to, you got to yeah, try KDE Connect, and, and so I gave and did, the, the, did they go elaborate ahead. what that means? Like, Well, I've heard that before. I said I couldn't get my and I've always kind of questioned, like, I connect my hotspot to my phone, and obviously, like I say, the KDE Connect thing is great. At the same time, like, with the advent of things like, with technologies like Telegram, what does one really connect their phone to their laptop for? You know, your photos just sync it over Google Photos if you're using Android or iCloud if you're using a, a, a you know, a fruity phone. What does one well, connect their phone would, to their computer for? Well, I, I guess if you're using Google things, personally, that's a good question. Personally, I connect my phone to get photos and videos off because I don't utilize Google products to upload that stuff to but uh, hmm. yeah, I think it's it's an interesting. But question. even that, it should. Somebody I who's mean, going yeah, back even, to Windows, they probably be okay using Google products, and you have that auto sync. Well, there. yeah, yeah. That, then the other thing, as far as like pulling files off, I mean, that's going to show up as an MTM device. So I, yeah, I, I'd be interesting to dig into that uh, that listener and find out exactly what their issue was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious about yeah. it too. And but there's but there's another thing. There's an, if you haven't heard of KD Connect before, there are other things in just like notification sync and SMS and stuff like that. One of the things that it's really cool about it now. This is um, it's not as good as it used to be, but there's uh, because of what keyboards are available now on Android. But there is this feature where you can actually use your uh, your phone as an input device for your desktop. So you can actually use it as your the touch screen on your phone as a mouse for your computer. Or as the keyboard for your, because that that actually adds the fact that if you use the dictation on your phone, you can then use that to dictate on your computer. So it, it's a really so, slick way of doing it. When we were at our, our our lake house, I was I had the laptop connected to the our TV, and we were watching movies, and I was using KDE Connect, uh, the input gesture or the input uh, to be able to control the uh, the laptop from. Oh, what a really cool, cool idea. And every, well, and everybody that was around me was like, whoa, you can do that? How do you do that? And I'm like, Linux. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay, so talking about filthy dual booters, Ryan. Gross. Um, Microsoft is in the news again because they're porting more tools to the open source um, field. And, and see, I never realized that SysInternals was an, inf- an official... Um, part of Microsoft, I always thought it was just a group of Microsoft developers who went away and started creating all these sysinternals software. So it's nice, to, nice for them to see all of that work um, being recognized. But what they're actually doing now is they're porting over those software packages to Linux. Now, if you've ever looked at that sysinternal suite, there are probably 20 to 30 different types of commands that systems uh, administrators um, can use use for debugging their CPUs and memory performance um, and analyzing processes. But what I find 
strange is don't we have all of these tools on Linux anyway? Or is it always good to see how someone else does it because you might be able to improve your one? Well, I think it's more of a situation which you have people who are very used to, you have administrators who have been doing it for decades. They're used to using certain tools. They're now having new servers out there, for instance, like Azure, which is going to be using Linux. They're used to using and seeing things a certain way. They like the tools to see how to monitor or look for performance or process issues or debug their servers. These are the tools they love. So yeah, we have equivalents over in Linux, but it is nice to give people who are used to a certain thing a very familiar experience and bringing these tools over, mm-hmm. I think is very cool. So is it, do we have to have them? No, but it definitely helps uh, the system administrators, especially out there to be able to utilize the tools they prefer. You use the software you want as long as it's on Linux and Microsoft porting those tools over is pretty cool. They're getting a lot of brownie points here lately. They're just, they're kind of every week hitting the news with more and more stuff. And that makes me happy to see. I mean, yeah, okay. They're doing some good things. Sure. Okay. But I mean, we could keep moving the goal coast goal post on them. I have not moved the goal post whatsoever. There is one thing that that Microsoft is (laughs) windows becomes Linux. No, the goal post is doing something that will not benefit them in any way but does benefit Linux. Like this thing, this benefits them. Like all them. the code contributions they make to Linux? No, because those benefit them. Because they, the, Azure isn't a good example well, of why it. Would they, Linux, why would Windows or Microsoft spend their time That's the point. If they want to prove... no benefit to them. If they want to prove that they have changed, that's what they have to do. But by them working on stuff that benefits them in Linux... It still benefits us. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying I'm not on the same side as them and saying they've changed. I'm saying they are more like, hey, thanks for you know joining the like the I don't know the party, but you're still in the coat room. You're not actually putting any much much effort into the thing. So like for my example would be if they ever released MS Office on Linux, that would prove that they care about Linux rather than just their bottom line. Because right now, the sysinternals things, this uh, this helps them because of Azure being the majority. Like, they even say that every every few months it gets higher and higher. And at one point, it was even more than Windows Server. So it, it only makes sense the people who are using it, who are used to using the, the sysinternals, they would port it so that they could continue to use it. And that way, they wouldn't create a barrier for their, their customers. So that's a benefit to themselves. I think it's great that they're doing it, and it does benefit us overall. It's just, it doesn't prove to me that they have changed. It just proves to me that they are willing to at least kind of like wiggle room type approach. Interesting. Look, I, I think it's a, I think it's a big deal. Uh, and I'm very happy to see more and more of these tools coming no, I'm glad. over. I'm glad. And I think it's a big deal that they're actually, they're public the, enemy number one right now, just to make sure everybody's clear on who we hate. It's, it's Facebook and Google. It's not Microsoft. Right. It's, it's not, I, I would Is have that, to agree. That's the latest consensus. Yes. I, I would agree that it's that they they are not the number one, maybe top five though. Still, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll go. Uh, there. Oracle's Michael, up there too. Give me some good news. This this makes me so happy. I just I was drooling over this. This this is a awesome news, and it also it, not only is it a great hardware, it looks really good too. They put a lot of effort it into looks that. So. Like, Good, the manufacturing man. of it is so cool. Woo. So, uh, System76 unveils their new Thaleo handcrafted open source-ish desktop. And it is 
a beast. Like there's there's certain there's like three different tiers of it. The yeah. the, the maximum tier is so absurd. I, I barely can fathom its existence. Ludicrous mode. Yeah, there's uh, 786 gigs of ECC RAM. Of pure beauty. And 86 terabytes of storage potentials. Sing to me, Michael. Yeah. Keep going. That that's wow. How many <laughs> how many distros could I put on 86 terabytes? <laughs> Exactly. A lot. But there's another thing about it is that they also have another model that has the Threadripper. And so mm. that's just important by itself. I mean, you don't want to like completely waste the opportunity of having a Threadripper on your product line. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but anyway, they also have another one that's not as ridiculous that is more of a starting version. But it's still even more power. It's still very powerful too. So you can get that yeah. one up to 32 gigs of memory. But the the really I, I as a designer I really respect the fact that they put the effort into the design and if you haven't seen it you need to check it out it is a very nice slick with like uh, wood grained approach to it it's it's a very beautiful uh, case that I never thought I'd say absolutely stunningly <laughs> gorgeous and I, this is finally we finally found out what they were using the lasers for when we had them on the show they were talking about having lasers exactly. we asked for access they said no now we know what they were doing with the lasers these machines look better than any mac out there now you can say what you want about apple and yes they've made dumb decisions in their designs lately but generally they have been the staple of beauty right when it comes to computing mm -hmm. this is more beautiful than anything mac has ever released the wood grain accents along with the aluminum the way that they did the cooling systems in here the amount of power that you can pack into them and by the way the prices you could actually that ludicrous one the starting price is 28.99 which is about the price of a crappy macbook pro with no dong with dongles <laughs> thing so i mean this is the machine to buy I love building my own machines. I've built them my whole life since I was 12 years old. I've been building my computers. This may be the first time I actually go out and buy a pre-made machine. And they made it so it's not proprietary, so you can actually keep upgrading it. So they didn't make special brackets or things, so you could never mm -hmm. put your own GPU or change your motherboard out. You can use this case forever, and it's beautiful enough that you would want to. They even they even went farther than that. They actually uh, released the blueprints of making your own version if you wanted to. And it, like, this is awesome. It, it's crazy. And they also uh, there's uh, there's the open source hardware alliance, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. But because they're like, you, when this was announced, they were they're talking about the first open source desktop of product like like this. And uh, a lot of people were mad about it. it's not really it's not fully open because of the daughter board oh, system they people made. People kill me, man. They really do. But I mean, it, it's it's the one thing is is that they the open source uh, hardware alliance has certified it as open source hardware because of the way that it is built and the what they produce is open and they provide all the source for the blueprints of building it and all this other stuff. So it is an open source desktop, but it might not be like completely 100% open in everybody's uh, Yeah, because why but... didn't you use the Power 9 processor and all this type of junk runs in. But you know what? These people end up taking away from the work that these companies do. Let, let me tell you a little story because I, I think it's interesting. I'm when we were running our own computer shop down in Florida, my dad loved IBM. We sold IBM processors, Blue Lightning, the works. That was his favorite. That's what when he got into computers... That's what they were using. IBM was the best. Intel started coming out. 
people would come into our shop and they started asking for Intel. But my dad was like, no, I sell IBM processors. That's what I want. But Intel kept banging on the door. You know, they kept doing their advertising. Everybody who knew nothing about computers knew to walk in and look for Intel inside sticker to the point where eventually, even though IBM was still making processors and everything back then, I was like, look, everybody's coming in. They want an Intel. We have to start selling Intel, right? Because there's name recognition in there. If it, the same thing happens here with System76. Most of your average people have no idea what Power9 and these other CPUs are. They're awesome. They're amazing. I'm excited for them, but they have no idea. You have to have some brand recognition in there. Intel has brand recognition. Ryzen has brand recognition. They're taking the right steps here. If Power9 ends up being the best CPU in the world, I'm sure they'll stick one in there too. But this is a stepping stone and you have to sell things. So you can either be completely set on this concept of everything has to be open source, which we want to get to, but I'm not going to sell any or let's kind of meet in the middle here. And I think that's what they did. And it was a smart business move. In my yeah, opinion. I agree. And I also think that what they're, the, the proof of what, what their goal is eventually going to be a fully open thing when they can is because they have moved everything that's proprietary off onto a different board so that if you yeah. wanted to use this machine without that board, you could just not have the board connected and just use the open open source pieces and stuff. So it is, it is potential that you that they're when they're they're going to be using this is to gradually get to it, and I think the approach of gradual uh, adoption of it is better because it is better to have the functionality that you want in a computer than not to. So right. I'm 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 a I'm a very big fan of this, and I uh, I if you haven't checked it out, you should definitely go check it out because there's a ton. Of, of information beautiful you want to you want to make us jealous post pictures when you get one because <laughs> exactly. uh, if i wasn't buying a new house right now it would be on its way i'm serious <laughs> right now it is one gorgeous machine all right so you know when you're building power machines and gaming machines everybody wants water cooling water cooling is a big thing especially for gaming enthusiasts although it can be used for other things as well uh, but water cooling is a big thing you see out there. I actually recommend most people don't do this uh, water cooling options, but a lot of people do it anyways. I've definitely installed hundreds and hundreds of water coolers over the years and building machines for gamers and things like that. They love them, but they can they can be dangerous out there. But one of the things that we haven't had in the Linux community is a lot of support for these. And what I mean by that is you want to be able to monitor these devices to understand number one are all your pumps working are you getting the proper flow do you need to speed speed up or slow it down and all of those type of things so you can have a water cooler because obviously in your machine but you're not going to have any ways to really control it easily within linux of course the linux community has gone out there they've created some of these software packages to allow you to interface with them but i thought this particular one was really interesting because a a article was out there talking about the best water cooler for Linux, and it happens to be the G Kraken, uh, which is the NZXT Kraken water cooling system, because the person who wrote the, the for the manufacturer, the software to allow you to control everything from RGB to the pumps to all of that stuff, has some of the best GUI software out there for the controls. So if you're looking for water cooling in Linux gaming machine, it looks like the NZXT Kraken water cooling system would be the way to go. Michael, Noah, any of you guys into the water cooling blocks and all of that fun stuff? I prefer liquid nitrogen. I haven't done my. Are you serious? No. 
No, not at all. I'm, okay, no. I didn't think so, but I just I was, listen. You know what? Uh, I have spent ridiculous amounts of money where I shouldn't have. So I was, well, who's to, who am I to judge? Um, I, uh, I I haven't used it myself, but uh, a friend of ours, a friend of Michael and I's, uh, Mister Rikai, is big into water cooling, and so when he built his last machine, I had the privilege of being able to install a water cooler. And let me tell you something. If you want the most efficient cooling money can buy that has absolute, it's absolutely silent, man, water cooling is the way to go. Yeah, that's true. If you wanted yep. to do, if you wanted a silent approach, then water cooling is, is a great way. You know, the, the fans are the easiest approach of doing the cooling, but they are, you know, they can definitely be pretty loud unless you get one of those cases that have like. There's a lot of reasons stuff. why I tell people not to use them. Well, but the water part, it might be one of them. It, that's one of the big <laughs> ones. People want, like, I had one person who's like, I want water cooling. It looks so cool. And I'm like, listen, I can build you whatever you want, but you keep telling me you want to take it to land parties. And generally having your PC bounce around with a water cooling system on it, not, not the best good. idea uh, in the world. And, and so there's just a lot of people see it and they think it's cool and they want it. But fans can be very efficient as well in cooling your system down. And the fans have only gotten better and better and better over the years. But you're absolutely right, Noah. Water cooling is the supreme way of doing it. And in fact, I probably will be setting one up for the Vegas 64 just to see how cool I can get it as part of a video I want to do just for the sake of doing it. But I don't recommend it for most people unless you have experience building because you can ruin thousands of dollars of equipment for a $100 pump of water for mm -hmm. saving 20 degrees in temperature, you know? Yeah. yeah. But if you want to see some ridiculously good water builds, uh, pop over to Overclockers. Um, and there's a guy over there called Big Ben. I think he um, currently has 16 of the 20 world overclocking records. Um, now, he does that with uh, Liquid Helium. When they're in the competition, <laughs> he, 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 seriously, he's got videos up there. They're in the middle of the competition, and he's got two assistants pouring Liquid Helium over the top of the processors to keep them cool while he's pumping up. Um, but he's got some ridiculously awesome builds out there, including one that's got an i9 and an i7 processor in the same PC. It's two PCs in one, and I think it sells for about $30,000 or something crazy. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, I'm like you. I couldn't use water coolers because I'd, I'd go in there to change the RAM and hit the pipe, and there'd be water everywhere, <laughs> and I'd forget to turn the electrics off. And, nah, not for me. Yeah, it's not it's not worth it for most people. Even I, I wouldn't even bother with that as well. Um, but anyway, <laughs> speaking of building stuff, that's very very cool. Uh, AMD has made an exciting announcement about their avail availability of their new GPU technology. Uh, except you can't really get it yet. Uh, while most of us were excited here about their seven millimeter seven nanometer rather gaming GPU, AMD went after the enterprise market with their first Radeon Instinct MI50 and MI60. These cards are optimized not for gaming, but rather for deep learning, rendering, and cloud computing. Um, optimized for deep learning operations mixed with the, with uh, FP16, FP32, and INT8 capabilities bring customer supercharged compute capabilities to meet today's demanding system requirements. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask Ryan, what what is your thoughts on this? Because, I mean, here's the here's the truth. This is uh -huh. this is one of those things where I'm glad that. AMD is doing really cool stuff, and I'm glad that right. we're moving the technology needle forward. And most of all, what I'm really happy for is that we have some competition in the GPU world because 
really, if you think about it, NVIDIA's biggest competition is themselves. Their last year, they got to figure out a way to make the next year's generation better than last year's generation so they can get some money out of you. So yeah. I'm happy to see that there are people competing in this space, but you know, I'm just not a gamer. I'm just not a, you know, so, and so GPU technology, unless it relates to Bitcoin mining, None of my this servers totally have could. This could yeah. relate. Yeah, to well, I, yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right. But that's what I'm saying. Uh, unless it has that kind of draw, and unless I've actually seen it and have a practical purpose, it's just not. You know, it's not something that really toots my horn. Yeah, I, what is interesting about this? Why? What I find so fascinating is number one, I I've been so excited on the seven nanometer technology. What this allows, you know, one of the biggest complaints that have happened with AMD over the years, which they have done a lot of work in improving was the jokes about anytime you run AMD, it's like running a space heater, right? Uh, they can get very, very hot. And obviously they changed that tremendously with their recent uh, CPUs. Their GPUs, frankly, in the Vegas 64, it's still run, it's a very hot card compared to NVIDIA. So getting down to the seven nanometer technology allows for a lot of things to happen like less power consumption, et cetera. Um, and we know the new Vega line likely is rumored to be on the seven nanometer technology. They're also doing maybe utilizing this for their processors as well. Um, this also has allowed these GPUs to allow AMD to create certain partnerships. These are mainly server based deep learning GPUs. So for, you know, very complex AI deep learning type uh, technologies. So me and you would get no value out of them. You're not going to get sweet frames per second on this in ballistic overkill. You wouldn't even want to spend the money. Uh, but Challenge it does it. show that AMD has continued to keep Intel on the rocks. And now they're taking on partnerships with AMD uh, or AMD. I'm sorry, with Amazon, which we know Amazon, I think has one of the biggest web services, the AWC yeah. out there. Uh, most every major corporation or at least a lot of major corporations things are running on Amazon's backbone and they're going to start using the epic processors in this of course as this gets out there through the enterprises it will get cheaper they'll get more efficient with it and you'll start seeing GPUs and consumer CPUs based on 7 nanometer so this this is a bigger deal um, even though we can't play with the tech, which kind of stinks this is a bigger deal for AMD and driving the competition against Intel and not that I hate Intel. I like Intel stuff a lot, actually. It's just I love that competition because it's going to drive the innovation. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what has happened. Intel, mm -hmm. for the first time, is against the ropes. They keep releasing things just to like, oh, crap. AMD yeah. throw something out there. <laughs> you know they are under so much pressure right now in those exec rooms getting beat up to drive innovation and come up with something new to compete with it because they're just falling behind. Yeah. So tell me, guys, is this something that will compete um, head on with the NVIDIA Titan V, you know, the Titan 5 card? Because that, that was brought out as not being a gamer card, but for this deep learning and all that sort of stuff. So is that, is that the sort of market they're going for? Or is Titan not even in the frame? Yeah, I mean, it, it would... At this technology based on, we don't know what the specs or how good it's going to be. And yes, it would be competitive to NVIDIA's kind of um, server-based cards and deep learning cards out there. Obviously, like Michael said, people probably will buy these for Bitcoin money. They probably would be perfect for that, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so you probably have that as well. But yeah, this is the competition. But they're, besides Samsung, who announced it the same week, AMD is the only one right now 
besides Samsung, that has the seven nanometer technology in here. This means nice. less power consumption. When we were talking about mobile devices, for instance, being, you know, being able to have a very powerful ARM processor, the whole idea is less power consumption. When you're looking at laptops, it's the same way. So you can have them for longer and all of that stuff because the batteries have reached this point where we can either just put bigger batteries in, the technology hasn't really moved enough yet that we can, the, the battery technology improves. So now they're improving the, the components to use less energy, but you still want that same power. You don't want things right. to be sluggish and all of that. And things mm. like seven nanometers allows you to accomplish that um, versus like 24 and 48 nanometers and everything else that we've been dealing with before. Mm. So Ryzen brought in the 14 nanometer technology and now this is bringing us seven. It's just, it's awesome to see all this stuff happening. Yeah, and you mentioned Samsung, but uh, Huawei have done it as well with their Kirin 980 chips. They're seven uh, nanometers, and they're out in machines already. Yeah, this the is very late, cool late stuff. twenty pros got one. So I don't know. I'm, it made me very excited to see it. It made me very excited just to see AMD be so uh, competitive out there. But mm -hmm. you guys know I talk a lot of trash about Linux users and Android. The fact that they utilize and stock oh, Android. Really? Oh, that's the first yeah. time I've heard of this. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, when what is the what version uh, what version are they on for with KD Connect for iOS? Oh, that's a zero. <laughs> they're working on it. No, they're wor they said they're working on an iOS version. Okay, but they are, are they working on the alternative ROMs for the uh, iPhone as well? Is that uh, that's coming out? Shut up, Noah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were saying something about open source users uh, are 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 better fitted to iOS yeah, and Android. Yeah, I, I, I love how all these uh, Linux open source users love the most privacy and invasive devices possible to run on their phones. Real good job. Uh, ex excuse me. I don't think anybody in this room has a Windows phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am jealous, though, based on this news article, and I may. I, I may have to pick me up a Galaxy Note 9 here for this because it's just, it's so cool. Um, Samsung DeX is bringing, we, we know about, we've actually talked about this first when it's first announced, but it's finally out in beta. And what this is, is if you have a Galaxy Note 9 or a Tab S4, you can participate in the beta right now for Samsung DeX, which essentially allows you to have a full Ubuntu, well, not a full, a customized Ubuntu 16.04 desktop on your phone. So you, if you are, you're out there using your phone, you get home, you want to use a keyboard and mouse, you plug your phone in, and now it becomes your computer desktop where you can utilize Ubuntu and most of its power. Convergence. Convergence is here. I, I think this is one of the most exciting things happening out there. When you talk about the convergence, Motorola and others have tried this before, uh, but based on what I'm seeing in some of these videos, this may be the best implementation of convergence I've seen. Obviously, you can have access to the terminal. If you're a developer, you can do all the things you need to do as a developer through this. You carry your phone with you when you're on trips. You don't now have to carry a separate device there. You just have to have you know, your keyboard, your mouse, your portable keyboard, mouse, and things on you, and you can start using Linux anywhere. Uh, what do you guys think? I think uh, technically it's it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I think the idea of convergence is something that's it's, uh, it's going to happen, and uh, this is one of the, like, the best examples so far of it getting it done. And I, I think that, in my opinion, I would rather have the KDE Connect style of convergence that's just like the utility type 
But this is a really cool thing that you can just run Ubuntu directly on your phone because, I mean, our phones now are getting to the point where they're basically just computers in a small form factor and, or even smaller than laptops. And, and the fact that you can do this now is, is a really cool idea. Like I, I, I saw the demo of it, and it was, it was quite amazing, really. Mm-hmm. So, I, go ahead. I think this... I think this is a really uh, interesting move on Samsung's part or continues to be an interesting move on Samsung's part because if you if you follow Samsung for the past couple of years, they continue to move away from Google products and continue to put their own in. They put their own calendar app. They put their own phone app. They have their own, you know, they, they, they clearly want to be a competitive, a competitive independent brand without giving up their tie to Android. And, um, I think what this is going to allow them to do is I think it opens a real possibility of seeing a third, potentially a third player getting Linux involved in that, mm-hmm. in that mobile sphere. And there's, it take, would take a company like Samsung mm-hmm. um, to do it because I hear that all the time. I hear people, they don't compare, they don't call it an iOS and an Android device. They'll say, it doesn't matter if you have Android or it doesn't matter if you have an iPhone or a Samsung. Yeah. It's almost like Samsung is the marketing equivalent of an iPhone and there are only the two. And then everybody else is kind of play. So I think it would take something like a Samsung to, to, to push that forward. And so I think it has a real chance of succeeding in the hands of Samsung. And it's great that it's being done on Linux. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. A lot of people could just call them like Galaxy phones and don't even know it's Android. Like there's quite a few of those people. So that's a good point. I, I do want to point out one thing that I found kind of amusing was inside the demo video. It was like a minute long promo of the, of the decks running Ubuntu 16.04. Uh, they open up a terminal and they open up another ter- terminal. And those two makes perfect sense. You got terminals running. They show up H top. Okay, cool. Then inside the terminal, they launch Terminator. <laughs> kind of redundant to do, but okay, sure. Uh, I, it was like it, it was it was great because it was like, hey, let's just make it look Linuxy techy and stuff. That's fine. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think it. I think it's very exciting for Linux, and I'm happy to see it happening on oh, yeah. Samsung. I agree with no 100. percent Number one. What is Apple's com- competition to this? They really that what they have nothing like it right? right out there, which which is you know um, proof that Samsung's not only kind of taking it to them on the hardware side recently, but now they're doing it on mm-hmm. the software side too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but isn't that because Apple have already got that convergence there already with their phones and their tablets and their PCs and everything's interlinked and interconnected and everything just works together to, to a degree we're not talking as much convergence here as you are talking about like they released their new ipad pro which dang that thing is like i don't some some obscene amount of money and yeah. everybody's trying they're basically saying this is your desktop replacement and i've seen article after article this week saying it's basically an ipad and mm-hmm. it, it has no ability to replace a desktop at all there were all these apple sites and everything else saying i spent a week with it I couldn't wait get to wait to get back to my desktop. This mm-hmm. creates a whole new thing because now you're taking something that's meant to be a desktop instead of trying to make iOS a desktop, which it yeah. does crappy as. You're yeah. taking something that's meant to be a desktop and making it a desktop. Um, so I, I think this has a way more capabilities of succeeding than what well, Apple has. Apple really has nothing to compete with this. Also consider this. Linux starts as a very small thing, and then we we add features and we layer things on top of it until we build it up to whatever it is we need it to do. Sometimes that's literally, you know, in the case of BusyBox, just essentially a kernel and a basic set of commands. And other times, you know, look at the like look at Kubuntu. It's it's this gigantic suite of things. And so it's Linux is so modular 
like you said, it really fits the bill for this really, really well, way more than any other uh, attempted competitor ever could. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're doing it with it, where the it's not like they're separate pieces either. You can affect the phone with the uh, with the, the the Linux desktop approach, and they even showed it where they would open like IntelliJ, so you could do development and do some like compiling and stuff via the phone, so you can have all the like the benefits of having like uh, direct access of hardware for testing of your of your app of your uh, Android apps and stuff like that. So like the the approaches they're doing is is more it is like basically a true convergence of having I mean- one device that does everything. Yeah, no, think about it like going to your clients and stuff. I mean, maybe it's not quite there yet, but eventually you could go to their your clients with a phone and you'd be like, hey, mm-hmm. I need to connect into your server. Uh, do you have a monitor? Because you want a big monitor. You plug into their monitor and you've got your full computer capability to go into your terminals, to go into their servers, everything well, right there from a phone. So I was, it was interesting. I was just having a conversation. I was, I, I, um, the 100th celebration anniversary episode of Ask Noah, um, a gentleman from the UbiPorts Project. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. There was a gentleman from the UbiPorts Project showed up, and um, and he was demoing uh, UbiPorts. And uh, I was talking with the business owner the very next day, and he was explaining about how, even though he's not a technical guy, even though he doesn't know anything about Linux, the concept of having a single device that he could store all of his stuff and have everything there, that's really that really appeals to him. And this is a business mm-hmm. guy that has nothing invested in Linux. So I think, yes, it could be cool for geeks, but I think it also could appeal to the wider business community. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. Um, so let's move on to the, uh, the always uh, favorite section for Zeb. And that is the gaming news. <laughs> and uh, so the first game we're going to talk about is actually called Monstrum. It's a horror game and it's now available on Linux. And it's one of those games that is like you're walking around a corridor and uh, it's just you turn around and it scares the crap out of you because there's big monsters in your face. So uh, I'm not really a horror game person. Because you cry easy. I'm not really a horror game person. You get scared and then you call me and then you're like, hey, can we talk for a minute because I'm scared. I think something's under my bed. And then I tell you to, to put on the camera so I can check under your bed before you finally fall asleep. Take three. I'm not really a horror game person. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so but I, I think Ryan might be. So, <laughs> Well, I don't scare as easily as Michael, so I like the style of games. I like uh, the survival horror. And this game, by the way, at least when I picked it up, was $3.00. In 99 cents out there on GOG. So you cannot go wrong here. If you buy this and don't like it, you're out a whole $4. So um, you can get a Big Mac for $4 and get more enjoyment. Zeb, how dare you? You haven't, did you play the game, Zeb? I have looked at the game and I thought, but you didn't play it. So how do you know a Big Mac is more enjoyment? But because I'm looking at the video here and I'm thinking, this is Canarium part two. <laughs> and we all know what I thought about Canarium. Well, that this went one... straight back to the shop. I mean, there's not a single thing on this video that's scary it's a dark and dingy corridor well it's not just watching it it's when you play it there's other games like uh, alan wake that doesn't seem like a scary game but you have like a flashlight and you and you and the only weapon you have is a flashlight and it, it is it's more of like when you're in the experience it becomes like a scary thing like yeah, i'll still you know, play these games like bioshock is another example it doesn't seem like a scary game at first but when you play the like if you just play a little bit of it you realize that it's 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 meant to be like a like a I don't know like a mental 
like engulfs you into the experience and that's when it becomes an issue I, I can understand getting involved in the atmosphere and all the rest of it but as i said before this looks exactly like canarium and i played canarium for a solid 45 minutes and there wasn't one single <laughs> bit that was scary i mean 45 minutes into the game i expected to have jumped at least three or four times <laughs> So well, you know, this one, just... the action actually happens quite a bit faster mm-hmm. than Canarium, and it's not just about you, meaning the monsters start coming after you right away, and the sounds and the environments are very intense. The, the, these type of games work the best when they get the music and the sound effects down pat in the environment mm-hmm. where you feel claustrophobic, just like a horror movie, for instance. And they did that very well. And you're on this old ship. There's creaking. There's noises. There's things happening. But right away, your idea in this game is to escape. It's randomly generated which monster. Each monster has kind of a different ability and way of attacking you. And you don't know which one's after you. And your idea is to get to the escape point before the monster kills you. Um, And the monsters have pretty good AI uh, predictions of what you're doing or where you're trying to go to get you there. And I'm telling you right now, Zeb, if you played this game, you put your headphones on, you turn the volume up, you take the lights down, we stream it live, you play this game in that kind of mode in the middle of the night, you will soil your British britches (laughs) over this game. I'm telling you. It, it will it will scare you, Zeb. So for three ninety nine, it's worth checking out. It's fun. I picked it up. It's a really fun game. Well, if it's okay with you, I'll stay with me, Big Mac. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> but before we go on to the next game, I've got a serious question to ask. Uh huh. Where's Ryan, and what have you done to him? What are you talking about? I'm right here, man. But <laughs> you've given me skateboarding birds coming to Linux <laughs> to review. And it's gorgeous. Yeah, exactly. It it's not. Is, <laughs> it's it's not pixelated. It looks fun. It looks like something you could have. Um, enjoy. It's not my type of game, but it's everything about it just looks so stupid. You've got this. I love it. <laughs> you've got this like Monty Python's type red parrot sitting on top of a skateboard, tr- trying to do front wheelies and back wheelies, and you know and. I can't think grinding the, 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 the turn curves. and Yeah, look at you. Just, just, just when it's going to get to fail, it starts flapping its little wings. <laughs> it looks hilarious. So somebody awesome. has definitely done something to Ryan. I thought is, I was going to get you with this. I thought you were going to say, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen, and here you, here you appreciated it. No, um, it is absolutely stupid, but it looks <laughs> not not my type of game. But yeah, I could sit there and watch somebody playing this. This is just, and I'm so excited. Me, you can watch me stream it when I get it. Definitely, because for me, this is better than your jelly babies fighting thing. This jelly babies. And what I think would be even better is if you could have two two birds on a skateboard in the same skate park, and you can wipe each other out. Maybe both go for the same jump and see who lands it. And the thing I found about it as well is when it crashed at the end of this little video, it doesn't crash and go bouncing around all the end of the place. It just sort of goes, plonk. <laughs> and you can imagine it going, ouch. Your description of a Monty Python bird on a skateboard is the greatest. If they, The developers need to steal that and just put that in the game. The bird, because that just puts so many visuals in my head there. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, this is, is going to be a great game. 
Yeah, as it's it's called skate birds or skate 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 birdings or something. Skateboarding like birds. Is it skate just bird. skateboarding? I thought it was skate bird. Yeah. yeah. Now the actual name of the the the, of the game is skate bird. Perfect. Yeah. I I yeah. think this is this is definitely one of those games where it's so ridiculous. I want to play it. Like, yeah. I've actually been used. To, I I remember playing like Tony Hawk Pro Skater a long time ago when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And it was like, and then the, and also like the skate series and all this other stuff. And it's kind of interesting. There hasn't been many skate games in a very long time, uh, or at least any of the big popular ones in a while. Uh, right. But like, so I was always wanting to get some more up to date skate games, and this is awesome because it's it's a skate game. And when you're doing that, when every time I was like, "How's it going to make that jump in the video?" and they just it just cheats and starts flapping, flapping this little stupid wing. <laughs> it's so awesome. Like I, no, I, I know you're not this. a gamer, but is is a skateboarding birds game something that you're like? You I will no scope you one v one. No, I. I'm just kidding. Here's the thing. I uh, the I I've I've the, the 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 closest I've gotten to gaming in the last week was I downloaded a new game on Android. I really like, and I couldn't even tell you what the name of that is. But uh, Flappy Bird. But it's 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 Flappy. Birds. No, no, it's like it's no, it's like a it's like a sniper thing that you yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just. I'm sorry. I can't pretend. I'm sorry. Well, well, you, we'll you, get, if you haven't seen this video now. for that, you still need to check it out because uh, this yeah. this get this this game's not out yet. It won't be out for at least like a like a yeah. few weeks or so. I, but I tell you, I tell you what, I would do. I would totally do a Destination Linux gaming night where we get together and do, like maybe engage with the community and play a game. I t- I buy games for that. that yeah, I'm we, just, should, we, should, like, we should definitely of do that. my own volition. Like if I could do it with a bunch of Linux guys, heck yeah. But on my own volition. Yeah, no, sorry. I, like I, I, I think I like that especially because it's basically we're forcing you to play a game and you're accepting it. <laughs> yes, you will like this. Noah. <laughs> you will like this game. <laughs> <laughs> so we received a lot of in our software spotlight. A lot of people are loving this section and the tips and tricks. We're getting a lot of great feedback from people listening, saying uh, that they loved uh, these sections here. So one of the things that was interesting is last week we talked about Simple Note. And we received no less than three emails talking about how we need to check out, if we like Simple Note, a program called Joplin. Did I do it right there, Michael? Yep, it's Joplin. Joplin. Yep. Okay. So one of the emails is thanks for all the content. And he does say, especially Ryan, always enjoy discussions about productivity tools like the one you had regarding Simple Note in the last show, an app that, from what I see, is one that comes the closest to. Evernote alternative is actually Joplin in Linux. Yet I have to hear this app to get brought up on, uh, yet to hear this that actually get brought up on any of the Linux shows out there. Um, Noah is informing me in the notes, which is cracking me up, that he actually added the especially Ryan in there. I thought he really said it. That's brilliant, Noah. <laughs> that is brilliant. You got me to fall for it. Um, but I did give Joplin a try. And I've actually really, really enjoyed it. Now, I have my own Nextcloud server, so the QO notes is so easy for me to do as well. But I moved a lot of stuff over to Joplin as a backup because it's so simple to use. And, Michael, it reminds me a little bit of HackMD. Yeah, because you kind of got that two screens and you can use markup language and things in it too. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, but you can. It's a very, very cool app out there. So yeah, I think I think um, this Joplin is really cool. And if you haven't if you haven't tr- seen it or tried it before, uh, they have an app image. So app image, so it makes it really easy to try it out. 
Um, but they the the way they do the syncing is through a third party syncing service. So like you provide the syncing service. It could be anything like uh, Dropbox, Dropbox or yeah. Net Nextcloud or whatever. Uh, but once you have that, you can even do it with a sync thing if you want to. So you do or C file with like a local instance or whatever. So it's it's it. it if you want to do it that way, you got to make sure the syncing is set up perfect, uh, like you know, uh, consistently. Otherwise, you can do it more of a local notes thing, and it is a really cool thing because it has a support for notebooks and to dos and all kinds of stuff. And the app, the app image, it did, did make it easier for me to try it out because I think that it's it's one of the easier ways to get to get an alternative of Evernote. Like for example, Turtle is a fantastic uh, set system. And it and it does it provides everything that you want. It's like an Evernote uh, alternative, but mm-hmm. it is a little bit of a uh, it's a little bit of a learning curve to get it set up and start using. Right. So this is a much easier way to get started, and I think that that's a great approach as well, especially since they have like the uh, the uh, mobile apps and stuff like that. So for iOS and Android, so if you if you're wanting to have like the full experience, those it's a pretty good option for that. Yeah, this has two-factor authentication. It has encryption options built in. And Noah, I remember when we were talking about SimpleNote last week, you said, look, I like it, but it doesn't have ability to organize stuff. So this has the notebooks, which are going to take care of that. That's very cool. That's very cool. I like it. Um, So all of us know that Linux is a customizable operating system. That's why a lot of us use it is because we have the ability to craft and mold it in exactly what we want. But a lot of people may not be aware that uh, even the shell uh, is, is customizable. And uh, there's some powerful shell options that you might want to check out. Um, uh, ZSH, designed to be interactive and incorporates many features uh, of other Unix slash GNU Linux uh, shells, such as Bash and TSH and KSH. Uh, TCSH is an enhanced C shell and can be used for an interactive logon shell, shell script command processor, and Fish. Oh, I remember the first time I used Fish, and it it was it was life changing for me. And uh, Fish is one of those shells that you haven't used it, you install it, and essentially it starts to learn how you use the terminal, and then basically it's kind of like Android autocomplete, except it actually works, and uh, and will autocomplete your commands like the entire thing, not just like CD, but let's say you always go into the same directory. Fish will figure that out and suggest that, that entire string for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love fish. Shell. I cannot use a system unless it has fish shell installed. So that has my personal thumbs way, way up. Nice. So one question from a, a the, like the non techie uh, person in the group here. Um, mm-hmm. What, what damage, if any, can it do? And how would you replace let's say bash with fish? Do you do, I mean, do you still end up opening up the terminal and typing sudo apt get installed, whatever? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, so the short, the short answer to your question is inside of your environment variables is what defines whatever shell loads by default. Now, you can always change shells uh, just by typing them. But uh, so worst case scenario, you go back and change it to bash inside of your uh, environment variables inside of your home directory. But uh, as far as what damage can you do? Nothing. I mean, you might get confused if it's a slightly different shell and it operates slightly different, but. No, there's really here's, no. Here's there's what really you no could do, risk. Zeb, is you could just install it, like do your you're in Ubuntu, so sudo apt install fish. And then if you want to switch to it, just type fish. You don't have to change your environment permanently at this point. Yeah. And then you can use it. And then if you want, you can shut down your terminal, reopen it, and it'll go back to your normal bash. Then when you decide you love it, because you will, then you can make it change it in the environment <laughs> but, and it will be permanent. Well, so everything you just said because I've just done it. <laughs> everything you just said everything you just said is technically correct but i will say that 
it took me a long time to switch to fish because before I had set it as default, the thing that fish does really well is when you're, when you're not thinking about being in command mode and you're just trying to get something done and you're trying to get it done fast, you would not really think to switch shells. And that's where fish really, really comes into its own is helping you out and saving that just a little bit of time and being available and saying, here's what you want to do, boss. Go, you concentrate on whatever it is you do and I'll handle all your shell commands. Yeah. So we were, let me uh, paint a picture for you. We were out to dinner with Noah at Southeast Linux Fest. And if, if you guys ever get to go, definitely go because it's amazing. Uh, but what, what happens is during lunchtime, a huge crowd forms around Noah's booth of about 5,000 billion people. And they all want to go to lunch with Noah. So we're all sitting at this long table. And Noah's like, hey, Ryan, have you ever heard of fish? And I think we were eating at the time or whatever. And everybody's talking. I'm like, what is he talking about? He's like, have you tried to use fish? And it's like a new shell. You need to give it a try, whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. And I'm like, I must be misunderstanding. He certainly didn't say fish. So I go to Michael and I'm like, what was that thing he was talking about? And Michael's like, fish. And I'm like, F-I-S-H. He's like, yes. So I go home and I try it. And I absolutely loved it. It is. It does help. It, you can't go back. Yeah, it, it's way more useful. And I was curious, Noah, do you, when you go to like a client's, um, you know, clients that you have and things like that, do you install it there or do you only use it for no. personal stuff? I only okay. use it for personal. The reason is we have, and, and when you, when it, it depends a bit on the size of your company, but AltaSpeed has grown to the point that um, we document everything we do because there's no guarantee that the same person is going to be back there twice. And part of that documentation is every piece of software that is on, that we put onto a computer past stock has to be documented so that we know uh. to be able to look and say, well, this thing isn't working. What else is in cell that could possibly conflict? And so that would be one more thing that we would have to document and stuff. So I have fish on my laptop, but I, I, I almost never installed it at a client unless it's a client I have a personal relationship with and I know that they're in there playing with it or it that I'm sense. going to be the one. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, no, we don't. Gotcha. Michael, do you use, like, I had uh, someone reach out really nice one t- telling me I need to use ZSH. Uh, mm-hmm. I went and I installed it. Um, apparently there are a bunch of, it's kind of like I3. You can take other people's configs and stuff. But honestly, I just couldn't get into it. I was just like, eh, I guess I just don't use the terminal in that way enough that it matters. Have you tried any of these and which one's your favorite? Yeah, I've tried uh, ZSH and Fish uh, and also Bash, of course. And I think that uh, I think Fish is probably the most useful as far as like someone who's not really like command line driven because you can mm-hmm. you can easily transition to fish because it's very similar but at the same time it adds extra features to get you more interested in using the command line so then um like zsh is really good and it has a, it's a nice it, they're very they're both have their very like their own benefits and they both have the ability to do like configs like nice to install configs and stuff like that zsh yeah. is more uh tailored to like the the, the big elaborate uh, config setup but I think uh, fish is probably. I think one of the things that, that Noah said about the fish is where it's like automatically like it gets used to what you're doing, and if you do a lot of things like I will run the same command with different variables so often that the, the fact that I can just hit tab and it just gives it to me is such such a great uh, experience because you don't have to worry about like ta- like if you type a little bit of the letters you can. In, occasionally get to it after a certain amount of tab completes. But when you start doing fish and you just type in like two letters and then this whole huge string comes in, it, it's fantastic. It's derp learning. <laughs> it's derp learning. Derp learning. That's exactly what it is. Well done. 
So uh, that's that's it for this this week. And uh, thanks for watching this episode. And uh, Ryan, you have a message for our listeners. Well, just a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us and by watching and listening to Destination Linux. Obviously, the big news last week with Noah joining the show, we couldn't be more happy that Destination Linux has grown and that we could even bring in talent like Noah out there. Exactly. Um, so I, I think it's just awesome. And all that support that you give us allow us to continue to expand the show, bring in new talent, bring in new guests, and continue to bring you the content uh, that you love. And of course, speaking of love, we love our patrons who financially help support this show. And you can become one and watch this fiasco live for just a dollar. And that's darn near free. So you might as well go See, the worst that we have to offer for just an almost a little more than 99 cents. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or pay nothing and get the published so that has none of the screw-ups. Yeah, and who wants that? You want yeah, the screw-ups. you want the screw-ups. That's the funny it, part. It, you also want yeah. to come into the chat room and then mess with us as we screw up. That works too. Yeah, because sometimes they get us to stump. Some of the times you hear us like pausing and we don't, is because somebody has typed something in the chat that is ridiculously funny and trolling us. Yeah. So, or, or if you ever I'm, see us, read it, but we have to. Yeah. Yeah. If someone's talking and then someone, one of the other hosts, just randomly laughs for no reason, that's why. It's exactly. that's the chat room. <laughs> it's because uh, yeah. So whether you're a patron or not, and we would love you to become a patron, um, you can send us an email um, to let us know what you think, any burning questions you've got, um, and we've got numerous methods that you can do that with. So on email, you can send it to comments at destinationlinux.org. Um, you can drop us a note on the bottom of the video once it's posted. Uh, you can ask us a question on the, the Patreon page, or you can go to destinationlinux.org forward slash contact, where um, Michael has been able to give us a whole host of Telegram groups and Discord and Google Plus and Twitter <laughs> and Mastodon. And Keep going, there's about 9,000. Well, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I always want to call it diaper because I can never say diaspora. <laughs> so I'm sure somebody will come up with a new one there called diaper just for me. So, yeah, please, please send in your questions in your emails. You can see how much we enjoy reading them out. And it does make very good interactive sections uh, of the show for us. Could you Absolutely. imagine social media called diaper? What is it called when you send a message? I filled my diaper. I just filled my diaper. Filled my diaper. <laughs> Where did you come up with that? It just sounded like diaspora. I can never say it properly. You just said it perfectly. Right diaper doesn't have an ass. <laughs> wow. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, anyway, if you're uh, interested in uh, learning more about the the that, you can go to destinationlinux.org/contact. But also remember to keep liking that smash button and to share the show on social media. And I said that one that time without skipping, and I had to stop and point that out. Anyway. Somebody trolled you so, in Twitter over that. Every yeah. word they had. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had a bunch of, like, anyway. Yeah. So if you want to uh, help share the show, you can do that on social media. And I mean, just try to try to say that right now. Share, share, oh, I just did it again. Just messed we up. won't. Share <laughs> it on social media. I'm share sorry. it on social media. Share it on social media. Share it on social media. Michael can't talk. Okay, yeah, cheater. He, he's cheated. There, we, we, we're not even, I'm going to cut that part out. Anyway, <laughs> you can fill your diaper to Michael on diaper or so, diaper uh, social app. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Sure. Why not? <laughs> you can also fill your brains at DOS Key Channel if you want to. So uh, well anyway, anyway, so <laughs> that's the end of the show for 96. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye bye.